God's word for our special attention this morning comes to us from the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Peter writes. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. With, uh, with, <laughs> with only three weeks of married life, Aaron and I packed up our meager belongings into the maximum number of suitcases allowed for international flight, and we moved to Central Europe, to the Slovak Republic. While it seems crazy that with, that with only three weeks of married life, we've moved to a place where we couldn't speak the language, uh, where we didn't have a car, where the internet was spotty at best, where it took, a, it took a solid 24 hours to get from the village that we lived in to the homes of our birth, uh, where, where there was no heat in the city church, where pig slaughtering was basically a village holiday, where they kept live fish in the bathtub for Christmas dinner, uh, where cheese was strong, where the, the national liqueur would literally move your spleen from one side of your body to the other. I know, with only three weeks of married life, we wouldn't change that decision. Our time in Tisovitz, Slovakia, would become formative for who we are and how it is we approach much of our life and how it is we, we think about ministry. And yet, while there, it was very clear that we, we were not Slovaks. Uh, we were foreigners. Uh, a fact that was highlighted for us every six weeks. You see, we had applied for work visas, which give us sort of temporary residence, but, but until those visas came through, uh, we were forced to leave the country every six weeks. The law stated that you could visit the Slovak Republic for six Weeks And so every six weeks, we literally had to go to Poland or to Hungary or to the Czech Republic or even to Austria, where we'd cross the border for an hour and then come back into the country for another six weeks. And then six weeks later, we would travel to Poland or to Hungary or the Czech Republic or to Austria, where we'd cross the border for about an hour and we'd turn around and do it again. We'd get it so that we could get the stamp in our passport that had a date on it that said we were allowed to be in the country for those six weeks. Now, after what seemed like a century, our visas finally came through and they were posted into our passports. And when they arrived, when those visas were finally posted in our passports, we became sojourners. Now, sojourner, technically, very literally, is to be a temporary resident in a foreign place. 
You see, we had resident status. The borders were much easier to get through when we had that visa. It said we belonged. And yet, it was very clear that we didn't. It not only was it the blue jeans that we were wearing or the tennis shoes that we were wearing, but it was the way that we talked. It was the way that we walked. It was the way that we carried ourselves that screamed to every Slovak national, you are a foreigner. Now, I have to say, it's a little bit weird to feel like you both belong and you don't at the same time. But that's what it's like to be a sojourner. Now, church, today we are beginning a five-week series, a purposeful walk through the book of 1 Peter, this purposeful letter written by Peter to, and I quote, chosen sojourners. And I want to encourage you, church, to to go home and to read this letter of 1 Peter. It's, it's not very long, but I want you to read it, and I want you to read it again, and then I want you to read it again. And here's why. Because Peter's letter is an encouragement to faithful followers of Jesus who feel both at home and foreign in the culture in which they find themselves. It's an encouragement for those who are following Jesus who feel both at home and yet feel foreign in the culture that they find themselves. In fact, at the end of the service today, I'll, I'll try to give you the, the scripture that I want you to read for next week so that you have time to just sit and process and listen to what Peter is saying. Now, I get it. I get it. Lots of you probably have devotional practice that you're doing at home already. But friends, this is an opportunity to dive deep with the whole family of faith that is Holy Cross. And so, if you're on Facebook, make sure to watch HC Community. If you're on Instagram, watch for updates over the course of the week to encourage you in this journey through Peter's first letter. Now, before we dive into this letter, and we will get there, but before we dive in, I want to remember that this letter is written by Simon Peter, right? Yes, that Simon Peter. He is a fisherman by trade, called to follow Jesus along with his brother Andrew. Uh, He's the one in Luke chapter 5 who basically tells Jesus that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then after Jesus' handiwork, Peter and his fishing mates haul in so many fish that the boat actually begins to sink, right? It's that Peter. This, this is the Peter, by the way, who professed Jesus to be the Christ. This is the Peter who was on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured and he was in the presence of Moses and Elijah. This is the same Peter who dared Jesus to call him out on the water. And the same Peter who sunk in that water when he looked at the waves and the wind around him. This is the same Peter who insisted that he would not, he would not deny Jesus, and it is the same Peter who denies Jesus. It is the same Peter that we heard moments ago from Andrea is restored by Jesus on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. This is the same Peter who would become probably the first revivalist preacher when thousands of people would come to faith on the day of Pentecost. This is the same Peter who would become an elder and a leader in the early church, a contemporary of St. Paul. This is the Peter that we're talking about. And Peter, 
Peter is writing late in his life. He's probably writing in the 60s AD, right? At a time when Jesus' followers were being ridiculed and mocked and persecuted for their faith. And so he writes to them to encourage them and to root them in hope and to help them recognize their own suffering and their own hardships in the grander story of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You will want a Bible, the one you brought or the one that's here. In fact, uh, if I can encourage you to bring your own, I think reading your own Bible, the one you read from most, would be advantageous to you so that you can write it in and underline it and put notes in it, right? just so that we get all of this together, both on Sunday morning and in the week when you're writing. Now, you can use the one that's here, but... Let me encourage you to, to bring your own as well. We're going to go to 1 Peter, not 2 Peter, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Again, here's, here's what he writes in those verses. He says, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, as one who communicates for a living, it's always amazing to me when people say a lot in very little. And in these two verses, Peter has basically given a sermon. Uh, these two verses carry with it the vision and the encouragement and the hope that we will find in the remainder of this incredible letter. In only two verses, Peter provides and he proclaims peace and grace and hope. How, you ask? No, how, you ask? Yes, thank you for asking. Exactly right. Let's dive in. All right, here it is. As is customary for a letter written in the first century, the writer identifies himself at the introduction rather than the salutation. And so here, Peter identifies himself, and I quote, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, it's worth remembering, apostle literally means one who is sent. One who is sent. In other words, Peter is reminding his readers, and he's reminding you and me, that he is sent by Jesus himself. Now, you and I are probably thinking, like, yeah, like, not really groundbreaking news. We, we know that Peter was sent. It's, it's not meant to be groundbreaking, it's meant to be encouraging. So if we back up into the Gospels, if we were to go back to like Matthew 10 or March 6 or Luke chapter 9, what we'll see is this reoccurring theme. Namely, that as one sent by Jesus, the apostle carries with them the power and the authority of the sender. In other words, the apostles carry with them the power and the authority of Jesus himself. 
So in Matthew chapter 10, this is what we read. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and here it is, listen, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal disease and sickness, and these are the names of the 12 apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, etc., etc. Or in Luke chapter 9, again, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them, listen, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and then he writes, and Jesus sent them. The word there literally is he apostoloed them. He apostled them. He sent them. He sent them out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to heal the sick. So to those listening to Peter's letter, they can be assured and encouraged to know that, that Peter both speaks and acts, that his words and his ways are pregnant with the same power and authority of Jesus himself. And so, this letter from Peter, one sent with the power and the authority of Jesus himself, he writes it to whom? Now, pay attention, right? He writes to God's elect, exiles who are scattered. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because, because I think, I think, now this is just Pastor Brian's opinion, but I think the editors of the New International Version of the Bible, which is what most of you are probably reading if you pick the one up out of the pew, I think, I think they misplaced a comma. Now, I get it, right? I, it's, it's not the Brian edition of the Bible. I, I get that, but, but just so we remember... The original Greek language doesn't have punctuation in its sentences. There are no commas. And so teams of editors or teams of translators, they get together and they supply something like a comma in order to help us as English speakers make sense of the sentence. And so that Greek text, not possessing commas, translators put in a comma. And I, I personally write this just past the bread. I think, I think they've misplaced a comma. Better translation, a better reading, and it's the one that the English Standard Version takes, the ESV, is written this way. It would be, okay, to God's elect exiles, comma. To God's elect exiles, comma, who are dispersed throughout all of these places. Elect exiles, quite literally, the Greek is chosen sojourners, they should come together. So this letter from Peter, who's carrying the power and the authority of Jesus himself, is to chosen sojourners. Now there are two implications here. The first one is this, as followers of Jesus, listen, as followers of Jesus, we are sojourners. We are temporary residents in a foreign place. Now, not to sound too kitschy, but Peter's basically saying, hey, this right here that we're experiencing, not our home. Right? This, this isn't, isn't. It, it might feel like home, but it's, it's not our home. We, we are residents here at present, but this, this is not our home. You know, when, when, we, when we encounter brokenness in the world, when we encounter, like, vile words that are spoken between humans, when we, when we come in contact with hate that's 
flung upon people of different backgrounds or ethnic makeup or sexual orientation or political persuasion, when we encounter the the gut-wrenching hunger of kids who don't have enough food to make it through the weekend, right? when we come face-to-face with death, when, when we see justice exposed, injustice exposed, when we feel the weight of the misdeeds of generations before us, when we encounter any of that brokenness in the world, there is something in us that knows this is not how it's supposed to be. We know that that brokenness and that hurt and that pain and that death is not how it's supposed to be. In other words, we know that our experience at present, our experience of living in a sin-saturated creation where selfishness and pride lead the way, that this is not how it's supposed to be. And friends, when we are maligned or ridiculed or mocked or even persecuted for our faith, we must remember that we are sojourners. We are temporary residents in a world that's not supposed to be. You see, knowing, knowing that we are sojourners, knowing that we are temporary residents in a foreign place, that it puts, it puts our hardships and our hurt and our pain and our suffering into perspective. It places our hurt, our shame, our guilt, our brokenness, our pain, our suffering within the context of God's grand story. That in the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the suffering of Jesus Christ, his son and our Lord, that we have been ushered into a new kind of kingdom. That we have been ushered into his eternal kingdom for which we only have a foretaste right now. See, Peter would go on to say later in the chapter that we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, and that inheritance cannot perish or spoil or fade. And so Peter is reminding you and me, he's reminding his hearers that we are temporary residents here, which means, church, which means that the pain and the hurt and the guilt and the shame and the brokenness and the death, all of those are temporary too. This is encouraging news, actually. It reignites hope in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. See, Peter Peter wants to put an exclamation mark on it. Not only are we sojourners, that we have a home, an eternal inheritance that is ours in Christ. Not only that, but we are chosen, he says. We are chosen sojourners. Now, there's a, a theologian by the name of Dr. Wayne Grudem He's a contemporary theologian of today, and he has done a ton of scholarly work on this one word in the New Testament, chosen, right? Like his whole career is around a word, right? This one, chosen. Here's what he says about that word. He says, and I quote, this word in the New Testament refers to persons chosen by God from a group of others who are not chosen, and chosen for inclusion among God's people who are to be recipients of great privilege and blessing. I mean, truth be told, this is is why we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? We are in the family. We have been chosen to be daughters and sons, and so we pray our Father, 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Protect us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. All of that because God has chosen us to be a part of his family. Chosen us to be a part of his family. So what is Peter saying, right? He's saying, listen, I'm writing as one with authority and power of Jesus to those of you who are in the family of faith who are receivers of the gift and blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus, and who understand that at present we are simply sojourners, residents, temporary residents here on earth, designed for eternity in the presence of our Father. And all of that, all of that, like the first seven words. Peter says, all of this was done, by the way, all of this was done according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, foreknowledge can certainly refer to the Father's knowledge of a fact, but it also carries with it the knowledge of persons, and specifically, you. That He has chosen you from before the foundations of the earth. That He has known you since before the creation was put together. He had a foreknowledge of you, of Jim, of Carrie, of Jason, of Andrea, of Scott, of Jeff, of Myra. He's known you, and he's chosen you from the beginnings of the earth. See, he's acted as a loving father, knowing you, knowing the very numbers on your head. You know, the hairs up here or down here, it doesn't matter. He knows them all. And he's known them since eternity past. Not only that, as chosen sojourners, known by the Father since eternity past, we are in, Peter says, we are in the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, Sanctification, big churchy word, big word out of the New Testament. So let me, let me just break it down for you. Sanctification is the process through which we become more like Jesus. Sanctification is the process through which we become more and more like Jesus. So here's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that his whole reader's experience, your experience, not only your experience, but your whole existence as chosen sojourners is being lived in the realm of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This unseen, unheard activity of God's Holy Spirit, it surrounds us like a, like a spiritual atmosphere. And as we live and we breathe in that spiritual atmosphere, it turns every circumstance, every sorrow, every hardship into a tool for his sanctifying work. As we live in that sanctifying work of the Spirit, every hardship, every pain, all of those are tools now being used to make us more and more like Jesus. Now, I, I get uh, that going through those hardships is not fun. Like, who signs up for that, right? Like, yay! No, that, that's not 
how we work. But yet, those hardships, those hardships are the crucible of forming us in faith. You know, the summer between the first and the second year that Aaron and I were in Europe, we decided we would go to language school so that, you know, we could talk with people or we could get ham at the grocery store. I mean, really simple things, right? So we went to a different city where we went to a language school where in the morning, for like four hours in the morning, uh, we were basically in like a kindergarten classroom where everything was labeled. It was Slovak immersion, no English in the class. And so we were just kind of muddling our way through this I think, kind of hard language. And then in the afternoon, we were sent out into the city with assignments to do. And you had to do these things in the city with the things that you learned in the morning. Now, this probably isn't going to come as as a shock to lots of you, but I was not awesome at it in day number one. I wasn't really awesome at it in day number seven. I wasn't awesome at it in week three. In fact, I'd be corrected again and again and again and again for my pronunciation. And I kept saying, listen, when you string like nine consonants together in a row, like this English speaker can't make sense of that at all. And yet through the patient teaching, those hardships that I was experiencing in language school, they were being used as tools so that I might grow in a way to actually speak the language. After all that hardship, after all that frustration of trying to string nine consonants together in one word, we're sent back to our tiny village of Tisovit, Slovakia, able to have conversations on the road. We are living in the spiritual atmosphere of God's Spirit, working to use every hardship, every pain, every hurt as a tool to grow us, to grow us so that we can be more and more like Jesus. And so as temporary residents, we've been chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world, chosen to live as his family, to receive his gifts of love and peace and joy and provision. And as temporary residents, every experience is a tool for God's work that we might become more like Jesus. Or as Peter says here in 1 Peter, that we would become obedient to Jesus Christ. Even with all the bumps in the roads or the holes that you didn't know existed, with all the brokenness and the hurt and the shame, that we might journey as temporary residents, as chosen sojourners, that we might journey straight and true, obedient to Jesus. You know, this is the time of the year when I feel like I have to mow my lawn like seven times a week. You know, it's just, it's just like it never stops growing, right? And grass grows in places I don't want it to grow in. It doesn't grow in the places that I want it to grow in. Like that, that is the nature of a broken creation, right? But I, I'm mowing my lawn more times than I really want to. In our lawn, we have a pretty large kind of side yard. And again, probably doesn't shock you, but uh, I don't do straight lines real well. Like they, it, they, I mean, it's pretty, right? But it ain't straight, right? And so, God bless my wife, because she's a math major. I don't know if that actually makes a difference. She's also an art major. Like, when she comes out and mows the grass, I kid you not, like, these are the straightest lines in the world. Like, this is true parallel, right? They, they just run. I'm like, how do you do? It's a, it might be a point of contention in our marriage. Just a small one, right? It's okay. But I'm like, how, how is it you do this? She's like, well, the simple answer is I just don't look at the front of the mower. I look in the distance at something there that keeps me straight. Don't tell her, but it totally works, right? This is what Peter's saying. 
saying, listen, we, we have eternity and inheritance that's out here. We have Christ who's going to call us home at the resurrection. And while we're temporary residents here, as we be obedient to Jesus, we look to Him so He can be straight and true. And when we're not, when those lines get a little wavy, don't forget, Peter says, that you are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. He's given His life already for you so that you're still in. How does He end it? That grace and peace would be yours in abundance. Friends, I want to encourage you to read this incredible letter, an encouragement to those of us who feel both at home and foreign in the culture in which we find ourselves, to let that hope be reignited in our hearts, to keep our eyes on Jesus today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all of our human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and always. Amen.